Episode 33, Musician, Composer, and Performer, L. Spencer Lewis. My name is Michael Delgado, and I'm your host. I come to you each week from the luxurious library bar in the spectacular Mayfair Hotel, right here in downtown L.A. My appointment spies me from across the Art Deco lobby. Her hair is aflame atop her creamy complexion. It sets off her emerald green Irish eyes. She glides over. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed it. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any, and, oh yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My guest tonight is L. Spencer Lewis. L. is a 2019 Emmy-nominated composer, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and performer based here in L.A. She's one very busy lady and has received numerous awards for her work in film, television, and interactive environments. She's toured Europe five times in support of three albums and has placed songs in features such as Stronger, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and in TV shows such as Missing and Friday Night Lights. Most recently, she was a participating performer in Rhythms of the City, the spectacular symphonic experience at the Rendon. While performing, she was connected to an EEG headset that displayed an image of her brain on a big screen as her synapses fired. It's part of her ongoing exploration into music and biometric feedback, but I'll let her explain. Please welcome the very talented and fascinating L. Spencer Lewis. Well, welcome, L. Spencer Lewis. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I, and you have been here before. I have. I have been to the Mayfair before. Uh, a friend of mine, a sax player, uh, played in the Toledo band here, um, and so I came to see him and the here burlesque dancers. Here in the library dancers. bar, and they do that yeah. like it was. They do. They have weekly programming, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. from Wednesday to Friday, I think. Or, well, and, uh, actually, Wednesday through Saturday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a very cool place to be, actually, because the decor is really nice. And I should um, give a shout-out to my, my sax player friend, who's Double G, who was the uh, conductor for Kamasi Washington and also the leader of the Dakar Band, the very cool Dakar Band. And uh, that's another suggestion for you, for your mm. podcast. A very right. interesting guy. Well, we'll look into that. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you here. We met last week or two weeks. Well, what? Last week. Oh my gosh, Last week, it's, week. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's wonder what what a wonderful weekend, a wonderful show. I know, quite a bit of work for you though. So what we're talking about is art at the Rendon, and it was Rhythms of the City. Correct. correct? Yeah. And uh, and for those of you who have not you know missed it, you can check out videos and such at art at the Rendon.com. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I don't think you have anything on your site yet. Or no, you I don't. I just got sent some footage, and um, so I have to put it into some semblance sure. of order. Uh, but what an amazing, amazing right. event. Um, sh do you want to describe it? Actually, or? I was hoping you would. I could. <laughs> I wrote a review, which is up on, on uh, aggeiger.com. 
and okay. I encourage people to go look at that. It's on my blog. Uh huh. Um, so, uh, but from I, since I did not participate in, as Elle did, I was hoping she could talk about it more. You know. Better than I could. I'd love to. It was a really extraordinary event, which was a lot more than the sum of its parts, I think, although uh, the parts were um, talented and commendable. Um, so, this was a project uh, that was conceived partially by um, the folks at Art at the Rend and uh, Cindy Schwartzman, and part uh, partially with um, uh, a Brazilian composer. Uh, Hector Pereira, wonderful um, composer. And so they thought about having a curated uh, set of musicians in each room of the Rendon Hotel, which is an abandoned hotel, very vibey, looks like somebody haunts it or something. It's um, uh, in the middle of downtown and it's quite it's got good bones, but it's quite downtrodden. There's paint peeling off the walls. In some cases, there are no walls. <laughs> um, and the idea was that we would all be playing the same piece of music. And uh, we have different uh, cultures and different countries coming together in each one of the rooms to represent the multiculturalism of Los Angeles and how Los Angeles has all harbored us, all of us from different countries. I'm from Canada personally, um, um, by way of Ireland. And uh, it worked exceptionally well. I wasn't sure how it was going to go because if you have 100 plus musicians playing in the same piece in separate 40 rooms, rooms right, yeah, yeah, is that going to, how is that going to sound? And you know, there was room for us to also improvise, so uh, I wasn't sure whether that was going to just be a cacophony or a symphony, and it turned out to be this really cosmic symphony. Um, brought me to tears. I know it brought several of the spectators to tears. Uh, I, I have to say I was moved and, and I have to say that I've been skeptical of things at the Rendon because of some of that, you know, each in the rooms they have people, you know, interpret certain things in a room. In this case it was music, but previously it's been visual work and, you know, when you have that many artists, the, you know, the work's going to be uneven and, you know, the premise may be thin and so I've always been kind of uh, a little skeptical. Yeah, mm -hmm. and but you know, a supporter from you know the effort because they're they are big efforts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, this one I thought was you know terrific. And it seems like they're kind of hitting their stride. I mean, it, it was really powerful, and uh, I was moved. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really great. And again, I you know I was coming at it thinking. Uh, not prepared to hate it, but I was thinking that, you know, it would be cacophonous and... Who knows, right? Right, um, but it was it was really quite spectacular and it was really fun. And mm -hmm. so then I met you after, you know, after the performance, but mm -hmm. I saw you in your particular installation, which um, was, you know, a Celtic interpretation of mm -hmm. the particular com composition. But you also were strapped with an EEG. Uh, a Muse headset, that's a, right. A Muse mm -hmm. <laughs> headset. Mm -hmm. And you're, uh, you had a display of, what, your, of your synapses firing. Mm -hmm. That's right, yeah. As you were playing the music. That's right. So that was fascinating. And so I wanted to ask you about that. Sure, well, uh, 
The project is called Songs of the Synapses, at least that's the um, iteration of the project that we're working on, uh, myself and my uh, partner, Jeff Smith. Uh, and I guess I'll just describe what I was doing at the Rendon, and then I'll describe the actual, the whole of the project and, and also its far-reaching implications. So the idea is that I'm wearing an EEG headset that's picking up my um, brain waves, my alpha, primarily my alpha and beta are the ones that we watch, but uh, they all work in, in tandem, so you have gamma, delta, all the different frequencies there. And um, so when you are paying attention, uh, your alpha waves tend to suppress your beta waves so you can sort of think of one thing at a time when your mind might be wandering or when you might even be stressed out or when you're trying to uh, solve a multitude of problems your beta waves might um, be a little more prominent than your alpha waves but what we had in the display was a 3D model um, uh, projected in on a television, huge television set um, of my brain and it was revolving so you could see all parts of my brain and the firings of my synapses and the um, brain waves going from one end of my brain to another were literally mapped onto this model so you could see uh, you could see relationships in my uh, corpus callosum you could see um, you know, when my left and right hemispheres were, were communicating with each other, you could see when the frontal lobe was firing, you could see when the parietal lobe was firing, you could see in the middle, the amygdala, um, which is, and the memory, which is important for um, music. But my point in displaying that is that um, uh, nothing ignites and unites the brain like music does. It's the only activity that uh, engages that many parts of your brain. Uh, I wanted people to see how the brain fires when you are engaged in musical activity. Um, and furthermore, when I got the chance to explain it to people, if a non-musician was to hook themselves up to this, uh, and it's a very small headband really, it's just a mm -hmm. headband, um, if they were to hook themselves up to that, that their brain and, and sing Mary Had a Little Lamb or even think about it, uh, their brain would look pretty similar to mine. Um, really the only difference because I was reading music uh, and people who do read music uh, they're the I believe it's the right frontal lobe is more active um, during the playing of music whether or not you're actually reading the music there's a visual component. But when you play not listen uh, when you play, when you listen, uh, that part of the brain isn't as activated in people who don't read music. But in when you listen, that part of the brain is activated in people who read music. Interesting. It is interesting because I don't exactly listen to music and then visualize mm -hmm. musical notes going by. Right, right, right. Um, but I may visualize shapes. For example, on the guitar, I may visualize the chords that are shapes. Right. Piano, you have shapes that you're dealing with. So. My thinking is that any visualization might be the actual fingering of, uh, of the piece, although I'm not saying that you wouldn't see notes either. Um, but I, what I wanted to bring home to people was that in this extraordinary uniting musical experience at the Renan, that, uh, that everybody who came to see the music, their brains, especially being in the midst of all that music, would look a lot like mine. Um, our musical brains uh, evolved between a million and a million and a half years ago. So is that not a bit, it, that might be, is that not just the limitation of the headband, right? Like because someone as sophisticated as yourself might actually show synapses firing in more complicated ways. 
Um, not necessarily. Um, no, you'd be surprised because, and I, I was getting to the idea that the reason that's the case, the reason that my brain and a, a non-musician's brain would look very similar, is because the evolution of music goes so far back. Um, so, you know, you're right that maybe in the prefrontal cortex for certain things, uh, maybe in the memory center possibly, um, depending on the activity that the person was uh, engaging in with music and whether they knew the piece or not, um, and whether they liked the piece or not, that, that would fire the brain more if you liked the piece um, as opposed to not liking it or, um, or being ambivalent about it. But um, aside from that, um, yeah, the, the reason being that, that music evolved, as I said, between a million and a million and a half years ago before we st stood erect even, before language was created. So it is such an intrinsic part of what we are. Uh, there's theories that we developed music so that we could stand upright and walk because you need to be able to and anticipate a beat. how did they get this information? How did they decide that? Archaeology. <laughs> um, but also... But nobody's brains around, so how did they figure that out? Um, there are, uh, well, just in terms of the, um, the shape of the brain, mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, and they think that they can do testing on what parts of the brain evolved when. Mm. So uh, I know that there's, the brain is sort of like a, a room that get, got built on, it just kept getting add-ons like a house. Huh. So the prefrontal cortex is the last thing to have evolved. Um, but we need, It seems to me that we need another addition to the house these days. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> you could be right about that. Maybe we're developing it as we speak. Um, but in any case, I mean, I, I think the central point is that people are a lot more musical than they think. Um, and that we are all bound together uh, by music in, in a very intrinsic way and in a way that I think a lot of people uh, don't take an object objective look at um, or they, it's undervalued, mm -hmm. um, the effect that music has on us and its unifying power um, and how much it makes us Can you use this EEG thing that you have to like, like if you're working on a piece of music, can you like go, oh, I wanted to hit this particular piece of my brain? Oh, um, you can use it. This is the second part of the brain project. It's actually a brain training tool. So uh, you only saw the visual, but I actually composed music that uh, changes when you are uh, concentrating on something. It'll give you um, drum beats, more, um, more tempo-driven music, arpeggiations of synths, that kind of thing, and become more and more dense the longer you stay at a certain threshold of attention with your alpha waves um, and above, above that threshold. Um, and then if you want to... And this is, you're looking at this direct feedback, so I'm yeah. firing a thing and yeah. I'm looking at my you can picture, see. I'm looking at things firing, and then I can train my brain to... That's right, relax, uh, either for meditation purposes, which is that Muse headset I is designed. Yeah, exactly. Um, they have a, a lot of little apps and things like that that help you with this particular headset um, for meditation, which is great. Um, I mean, I'm, I meditate myself, and at first I was a little bit, uh, I, I was a little bit suspicious, but actually, um, you know, when you are slipping out of your meditation, you tend to get sort of little ambient noises creep in that become a little more disruptive as you are losing your attention to get your attention, I guess. And, and the more that you're submerged in your meditative practice, the more you're present, watching your breath, 
and the more focused you are on that, um, the sounds become like birds and things like that. So you have sort of a reward of nice sounds. And my, my project works similarly, except that it goes a step further in that we are mapping the brainwaves right onto uh, MIDI. Mm. So uh, quantizing that MIDI, of course, because otherwise it would sound like a symphony of theremins. But which can be cool, except that you can't do too much with it. It's it's nice to kind of watch it go by for a second and then you're done with it. Um, but as a brain training tool, you know, being able to make music with your mind is mm -hmm. my goal, right. um, and that can be so helpful for so many things, for memory issues, for ADHD. I'm in development with. Uh, uh, with something for people for uh, their um, panic attacks because then they can take it with them. They don't have to pop a zany if they're at work and they get a panic attack. That's, mm -hmm. you know, how can they can work? So there you go. <laughs> so um, it has a, what we're doing has a, a medical, therapeutic medical wellness application as well as just making your brain now, better. When you, say, when you say you're working with this, I, I saw that you were at the Royal Academy. Uh -huh. Out of Toronto. Yeah, yeah, the so Royal Conservatory. Uh -huh. Conservatory is what I meant to say. And, uh, you know, a storied institution. And, but they have uh, a whole center developed, I mean, around this, right? Or is, are you not working if, with them? Or? No, no. Uh, you know, if anything, I'm working with... Uh, the, the project was at first conceived by um, Mickey Hart, the drummer of The Grateful oh. Dead, and um, Dr. Adam Ghazali, who's a neuroscientist at the San Francisco uh, State University. Um, neuroscience lab there and uh, he has developed several apps for memory using um, video games because the FDA has just approved video games for use in place of drugs because mm -hmm. people take their video games more effectively than they take their drugs. Sure. They, uh, they're, they're addicted though. That's, that's, that's it. Fine, I guess. Well and so is music. Music is it released, uh, where I should say it allows serotonin to be absorbed in the body. So it's it's uh, very good for addiction, um, things like that, using music therapy. But this sort of takes music therapy one step further as well. Um, so our goal is that, but also you can have a huge amount of fun with this thing. Uh, we're actually creating a physical brain. So he he developed the the visual for this about six years ago with uh, Adam and my uh, partner Jeff. And Jeff brought it to me about three years ago and said, look, I feel like we can do something with this visual, but I just don't know what. And we tossed around a few ideas, but the latency was still about five or six seconds, uh, the processing speed. So yeah. in order to make it a functional neuro, uh, um, sorry, neurofeedback or bioenhancement uh, tool, it was just latency, just wasn't there. But the processing speed got faster, the headsets got better. And then last year I did a talk on the evolution of music in the brain and I got struck by what we had. We'd sort of missed the boat on the trajectory of that project and I wrote for about six hours on the bus back from Arizona, which is the U of Arizona, which is where I've given the talk and, uh, <laughs> and called up Jeff and said, look it, we gotta get back on it. Um, and, uh, and since then, we've, uh, the development of it has actually uh, gone very well. We're in talks with the Science Museum in Colorado called The Hopper. Um, so this is going to get out there um, physically as well. So we'll make a huge model, 20 by 20 by 40 foot 
brain with fiber optic cable and 3D printed synapses and so the light will actually go through it like what you saw oh, will cool. actually yeah, be yeah. physical and we'll have uh, you know brain folds above it. Um, so this is in Colorado in Boulder. Yeah, um, I know, but I mean, would I, there, and is it like an experiential thing that they're producing for a museum or? Yes, so they're, um, this museum is sort of an interactive science tech museum. Oh. So we'll be one of their flagship. And the name uh, is what? Uh, they're called the Hopper. Oh. The Hopper, yeah, and so uh, it looks like we'll be one of their flagship installations, which would be really exciting. Yeah, so but you can use this for a DJ party. Imagine you've got, you know, Tokimonsta wearing yeah. your headset and you're underneath her brain as she's creating music, and you can even, we are in talks with a couple DJs, um, you're able to trigger sounds or um, like breakdowns or, um, you know, yeah. you're able to trigger certain things with your mind, right? It sounds so, like it should be at a club in Las Vegas. Totally, man. That That is part of the plan. So it's really fun because it's so far-reaching. Um, but I think that's a testament to where we are with music in the brain and that we are just on the cusp of learning about it and how it affects us and how we can use it as a tool and how valuable it is to us as a species. And the scope of that is so broad that this project just has a lot of scope. So it's really exciting. Um, and I want to get as many people trying on the headset as possible so yeah. they can see their brain. <laughs> <laughs> but they seem similar though, even if you put your head inside. So like but isn't it crazy to see somebody else's, the inside of workings of somebody else's brain? I mean, it's weird for me to show my brain. I'm like, everybody can see my brain. Um, <laughs> I didn't anticipate it being such a, you know, like sort of... Yeah, but it's kind of a different language, vulnerable. right? I mean, you look at it and mm. it's like, it doesn't, I mean, unless you studied it, because it's a language, I mean, mm. you're, you know, or the translation of a language, right? Mm. So you're listening to music as a language, mm -hmm. and then you're looking at a visu visual symbols, and, you know, musical hier hieroglyphics, if you will. Mm -hmm. So um, you'd have to study it for a little bit to, like, be able to see the difference, right? I guess that's true. Uh, it depends on, you know, sort of what you what you want to get out of it or what <clears throat> what the goal uh, of that is. I mean, well, it's fun to see, like when I watched your thing, it was fun just to see things firing. Exactly. I yeah. think that's, I think part of it is it really doesn't have to be that complicated. You mm -hmm. see, it's really just like, wow, look at her brain zinging. Mm -hmm. Look how much is going mm -hmm. on. And that's from musical right, activity. Right, right, right. Very, very simple. And, you know, uh, with the Hopper, the Science Museum will have um, ways of talking a little bit about each one of the different areas of the brain that music simulates. There's about six major ones. So, you know, we can just say, okay, that is your emotional center, that's your memory center, that's your prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. for reasoning. So people can look at that firing and go, oh, I see that that's part of my brain that's, that's being activated right mm -hmm. now. Um, but I mean, even more than that, the biggest comment I got was, wow, it's so beautiful. And yeah, I, I yeah, think isn't that nice yeah. for people to go? Oh, my my brain on the inside must be <laughs> beautiful too. <laughs> so in some ways, just a very simple meeting with our inside workings in a way that we don't have a chance to interact with, is right. is part of I think something a little bit life changing. You know, if you put on the headset, you see your own brain firing. Sure. Whether or not it's very similar to to mine when we're both engaged in musical activity or not. That's still your brain, and it's so. Where did where did you make the leap from your composing background or your musical background to being involved in EEG? 
I know, it's quite a leap. I uh, worked with Jeff on some interactive installations. And Jeff, I'm sorry. Jeff sorry. Smith. Uh, he used to work at uh, um, EA. He's worked in video games for wow, years. He, yes, but also um, he's worked in a lot of interactive environments. He's working with the Gran Canario Telescope right now, the biggest telescope in the whole and world. he was at, what was the name of his firm? Uh, so he's I, at iVapor, yeah, I that's Vapor, his right. firm, exactly. Um, but he works with a whole bunch of different people mm -hmm. involved in many things. Um, so he, like I said, he... And where does he live? He lives here. He um, lives in Chatsworth Lake Manor. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, he's he's here and, like I said, involved in a ton of different things. So interactive environments was something that I worked with him on in a particular program called Touch Designer that translates all kinds of data into all kinds of other kinds of data. Um, it was used to run uh, all of the shots and lighting. How did you guys hook up? Like it was like a friend recommended me. I was looking for... Uh, for composition in interactive environments, and I mm. had a background in a little bit of web development and uh, and gaming. But you're doing work with games now, like you're composing for games, like it's straight ahead, just like making soundtracks for games. Yeah, well, games and um, and film. Uh, in fact, more film more and film more more linear narrative actually than than games. Although I love um, composing for games, I love non-linear. Um, uh, composing non-linearly because it's just so interesting to piece music together and make it interactive, you know, for whomever is playing it and how. But it's, it's well, it's storytelling, but it's just mm -hmm. and else personal storytelling. Right. Yeah, yeah, which I really love, um, and I, I sort of love building that the software, the architectural aspect of that is really fascinating. Right. But you know, it is all storytelling, so making anything feel, you know, making any piece of work, whether it's video game or film or commercial or whatever, you know, making you feel something is, is the goal. So, okay. uh, and yeah. you're very good at it? <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm getting better. Well, yeah, <laughs> Always I, getting better. I, 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 you know, nominated, Emmy will be nominated. That's yeah. It's not too shabby. Not too shabby. We, we got, uh, yeah, me and my, that's another partner of mine, Jed, uh, uh, Jed Chedediah Smith from Beta Fish Music. He's a very talented composer, and I was lucky enough to be working with him on that. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, in wrapping it up, I guess, um, let me bring it back to the art of the Rend and, and just say that I think the reason that was so successful was that, and I highly recommend that anybody else seeing something going on at the Rend, go check it out. Um, but I think it says something very interesting about our relationship to music in that it's such an intimate experience for people to walk into a room and be able to stand nose to nose with the musicians. So you're nose to nose with the mariachi band, with the uh, flamenco dancers, with the, the, you know, the Chinese flautists, right. um, with myself. I, you know, with singing, I take off the headset and walk up to people and sing in their ear. And, you know, for people to have that experience, you know, I think that's why people were so moved because they... They're starved for an intimate experience with sure. music. And um, so I, I love that the Rendon allowed people to get close up with music and allowed them to express their, you know, their relationship with, with music a little more personally. Because there was no bling. You know, that place is no bling. There's, <laughs> like I said, paint peeling yeah. off the walls no, with just no, musicians yeah. and, and people. Um, it was raw that way, which is really, really raw. powerful. Yeah. I thought so too. I thought that was really part of the... Um, the real ecstatic nature of it was it was just pure. Um, 
and I think it was surprising. It caught people off guard because they're so used to bling. They're so used to, you know, so much bass and everything is happening and it's so exciting, you know. And you're sort of force-fed this, uh, oh, great experience. And this was just, hey, man, walk into a room and check out, you know, the DJ beatboxing. And he's right there and you can see him sweat and you can see him spit and you can see him maybe mess up. You can... You know, you can hear every little bit, and that, I think, um, you know, going behind the curtain a little bit, mm. um, was really an exceptional experience for people, and well, I think and we then, need more. <laughs> right, and, and, but at the same time, in the hallways and everything, you hear the entire symphony yeah. at all, which was, yeah. which I, I was the most powerful, yeah. Felt it. I mean, I felt it. I felt like we were giving out love. You know, I can't right. explain it any other way. And maybe, I. You know, I don't care how that sounds. I. I really felt that. I felt the whole orchestra of the place. You know, there were certain parts of the piece that we knew well, and I could tell when everybody was like, "Okay, be gentle with them now. Just everybody, just be nice to everybody. Let them, let them be gentle." And then you could feel everybody go. Musicians go, "Okay, now we're gonna, now we're gonna give it to them." Here it comes, um, and uh, I just love that communal experience. And it was really, again, a very pure, just very loving. You know, here you go. You just need a little bit of love, LA. Here you go. Yeah, no, um, I felt that. I, I, in my review, I said my my faith in humanity was restored. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I think that that's what that experience did for all of us who are involved yeah. in it. It was really restorative. And you know, I said to my people at the bar that I met who had been at the event. Um, and recognized me and you know we all agreed that we were different that we were different and I feel like my cup was filled so maybe this gives us all a chance to think about the kind of things that we want to be involved in the kind of things that we want to see the kind of things that we want to engender in this art scene and think about what you know what something heartfelt really means what something intimate really means um, and what that does to us, it does. It changes us. Being intimate with art together changes us. And it's not all the whiz bang. It's not all the, you know, the light shows. Or just the straight ahead commentary right? mm, mm. that, a, say, a visual artist can make. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, you've had so many artists in here um, talking about their art. So, what is your takeaway from uh, intimacy in the art scene in LA? <laughs> I know that's a huge question, but yeah, I can't imagine. Well, in this context, I would say, uh, you know, the 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 Brendan piece, you know, is at the top of something like that. And and in general, you know, intimacy is in the visual arts, which is my, you know, things I mostly go to. I don't particularly go to a lot of performance or theater. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Sometimes the artists will, you know, be intimate about themselves, you know, uh, un be relevatory about their own experience, and that is an intimate experience. Mm -hmm. But uh, typically, it's not. Typically mm. it's not. Mm. There's something else. There's something more formal. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something about being inside the experience together. It's. I mean, of course, it's always. You know, it's quite shocking sometimes when an artist is really good at being intimate with their, or revelatory with their experiences mm -hmm. in a very raw way. But I think that there's something about the design of an experience in which the artist and the 
other artist who is the receiver of the art, but they're as much the artist because they are making the art into what it means to them. So they are arting it into themselves. Mm -hmm. And something about creating an intimacy of space there and living inside it together as opposed to it being a performer and a listener, um, I think is something that we're, that we're starved for because we, we live in a world where we're a little bit siloed, especially here in LA. So I would, you know, I, I think it's sort of a call out to all of, all of us, not just artists, but, but people who go to see art because they are participants in the art as well. Um, to become somehow um, closer to each other in the experience. I don't know how that would work depending on the experience, but uh, but yeah, a little shout out to everybody. Let's get closer. <laughs> yeah. You're buying. <laughs> sure, I'll get the next round. This one was really good. Happy with my wine. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that's a good way to end Thank you for having me, that was lovely. You've been listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. My guest tonight has been musician, composer, performer, L. Spencer Lewis. You can learn more about Elle on her website, where you'll be able to also sample her beautiful music, something I highly recommend that you do. Check her out at lspencerlewis.com. That's L-E-L-L-E, Spencer, S-P-E-N-C-E-R, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, lspencerlewis.com. We'll have images and links on aggeiger.com as well. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel, Music and Artist Management Company, Regime 72, and A.G. Geiger Fine Art Books. Check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, AGGeiger.com. Thanks for listening.